Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 59, The Private Lives of Pippa Lee from 2009. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. Back with us today, we have Lindsay Gibb. Hello, Lindsay. Hi. Hi. So this movie you picked, I think, a long time ago. I had never heard of it until we started doing this podcast. Did you know this movie before we started, Lindsay? I think I'd heard of it, but I never watched it before. And the main reason I picked it was just because Winona Ryder was in it. So it was an excuse to watch a Winona Ryder movie. Sure. Mike, did you, did you know this movie before we started or no? No, not, none whatsoever. Never seen it. Never heard about it. Um, but was excited to watch it. It's filled with people that I love. And it's a movie that if I never see again, I'm going to be totally okay with. It's, it's not bad. Like, that's the thing. It's not bad. It's like a lot of these Keanu movies, they're not bad. It's just not great. It's kind of mediocre. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like it's okay. I, I enjoyed it, especially like the last act. I really enjoyed it. But I was like, where was that energy the entire film? It's kind of, it, it feels like it's almost there. It could be a really good movie, but it's just kind of stuck in mediocrity. So it's directed by, and I think written by Rebecca Miller, who just did Maggie's Plan, which was last mm. year, I think, which is Greta Gerwig and Julianne Moore. And that movie's a very Greta Gerwig movie in that many of her movies are similar. But it's, it, again, like Maggie's Plan is not the best Greta Gerwig movie. And I feel like this is still like a good movie for most of these actors, but I don't think anybody here, maybe Blake Lively... But nobody else is really giving a performance that's, like, one of their best. Like, everybody's good, but nobody's really standing out. I think Blake Lively is really good in this as the young Pippa Lee, as young Robin Wright. But for the most part, it's just pleasant enough to watch. Everybody on screen is likable. You know, it looks nice, but it's just sort of unremarkable. Yeah, I mean, I thought Winona was good in it, but I've definitely seen her in better things. I didn't love Keanu to begin with, but as Mike was saying, like in the last act, everything kind of comes together and I liked Keanu better. But yeah, I'd agree. It's not everybody's best work. Yeah, I felt like Robin Wright was playing a good version of an older Blake Lively. I kind of got the sense that she was kind of doing a mimic of her more than the other way around. But aside from that, I mean, Keanu, (laughs) uh, kind of like your garden variety performance out of Keanu, but the one thing about him is his character was his giant Christ chest tattoo. (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's one of the two big things, yep. Yeah, for me, the... You know, the shock of the film, the highlight of the movie. It comes early and it comes back. (laughs) (laughs) The other big thing, and Lindsay, I'm sorry for being crude, but I think this is the first time that we have Keanu finger a girl on screen. Like, it is, and that's something that, you know, Cage never did. Zondali. Oh, well, he did everything in Zond- Zondali. Isn't- Zondali is basically Skinamax. It's on the back cover. <laughs> oh, it is on the cover. Yeah. In that alley. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's a good poll. But yeah, Keanu in the back of like a van fingers Robin Wright. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, that's the Princess Bride. That's the Flotus in House of Cards. Like, that is Robin Wright. I just, whoo. Like, it. it's a, I didn't expect that. See, I think that was the peak of the movie. We've jumped right ahead to the peak of the movie. But I wrote my note on that is that Keanu is Jesus. He gives her an orgasm and doesn't ask for anything in return. It was a great (laughs) moment. (laughs) 
yeah. So who? So Keanu, he lives with his mom, right? Is he is he back with his mom? Or yeah. Has he always lived with his mom. No, he moved back to live okay. with his mom. He's adopted. It seems like he's kind of in recovery of sorts. Yeah, he says that he got fired from like volunteer work or something. Like he was sort of like a pastor priest type guy, right? He goes around and like helps out homeless people like one day he went home early from being fired and caught his wife with his best friend and so now like he's getting his life back together moved into the retirement home that his mom lives in that robin wright also lives in with her husband alan arkin fired from my job at the men's shelter i come home to find my wife sitting on top of my best friend wow that's bad yeah well there's probably a good reason for it all what I'm an asshole. You are? I don't know why, I just always have been. The tattoo you have must have hurt terribly. I tried to join a Jesuit seminary once when I was 17. You were going to be a priest? Yeah. But they rejected my application. Do you still have a vocation? Just the tattoo. What made you lose your faith? I just stopped believing God was a mystery you could nail down with one book. But by the time my parents had ridden me off as a fuck-up, I was married to a Jesus freak. And I was just as pissed off at the world as when I was a Christian. Which brings us more or less up to date, give or take a decade. Yeah, and the mother says when Robin Wright meets Keanu for the first time, his mother is there, and his mother says, "When you, you never know what you'll get when you adopt, so he's adopted. I don't know what this movie's trying to say about adoption, <laughs> that she said such a thing. But yeah, she, his mom seems kind of disappointed in him. It's not super clear. He starts out as sort of a weird angsty adult, but then he seems to get himself together towards the end. But I think he had clear reasons, like if his wife cheated on him and he lost his job all in one go, like... Can you really blame a guy for feeling like crap at that moment? And he also tried to join a Jesuit seminary when he was 17, right? And so, like, it seems like everything in his life hasn't really played out the way that he wanted. Mm -hmm. And so he's this 35-year-old man living with his mother again. So this is the weird thing. Again, they're just sort of jumping away to the end. You know, when he makes out with Robin Wright for the first time, he's like 43. No, he's like 45, I think, in real life playing 35, which is fine. Yeah. And Robin Wright is about the same age in real life. But when she sneaks in the window, the mom, you know, Keanu's mom walks in and catches them. And she's just like, basically, like, he's such a young boy. How can you do this to him? Yeah. That was weird. Because also Robin Wright seems younger because she's married to Alan Arkin, who is this much older man. And so she seems younger by comparison. So it doesn't seem crazy. I think it was more like she's friends with Dot. She's friends with Keanu's mom, sort of, right? What's going on? My husband has been having an affair with a good friend of mine. So... It's official. Nobody needs me anymore. Hi, Ma. Dot. Dot, no, no, no. Please, I didn't mean to upset you. 
I really, I really didn't. That man is 35 years old. I know, but and we, you we are haven't done whatever anything. you are. It's none, it's none of my beeswax. It is just disappointing when someone turns out not to be the person you thought they were. Because it brings me back in a, in a, bad way to those early Keanu movies where he's like in high school and he's sort of being babied and you know he's just a kid here it's the same thing which is more interesting because he's an adult but I got like flashbacks of oh no like we're back in this phase of Keanu club again well I mean Keanu is the same age as Nicolas Cage right and they definitely don't look it so it is kind of common I guess even to today that he gets cast younger but it's also common to cast women older no matter who they are and I think they're supposed to be at least seven years apart in age, whereas in real life, she's two years younger than he is. So that's just Hollywood, I think. There's so much going on in that scene to really unpack in that moment. But I feel like from Keanu's mom's perspective, I'm not even sure she knows at that moment that Robin Wright's um, husband, Alan Arkin, has like suffered a stroke and is brain dead. And they're like, has mm. been cheating on Robin Wright. And like, you know, there's all this stuff that's been going on. Keanu isn't really as big a part of the movie as we're really making him out to be. But I, I'm like, I'm liking that he is that we are talking about him um, as if he is. But yeah. uh, <laughs> I think that scene was supposed to invoke a high school feeling, too, because the character of Pippa was getting back to her former self and she had and, and like she had really not been herself since like her early 20s. And so um, I think that there was a lot of things trying to be represented in that moment also. But also, I feel like Keanu was, again, in a weird way, I got a something's got to give vibe off of him in this and that he is sort of this ideal guy for, for people in a way, in a strange, like he's more symbolic, like he's just like we need like a good looking, emotionally available, just everything that she needs at that moment that would make her um, content, maybe? I don't know. That would just, that everything that she would want, some someone that she could turn to that would seem like um fantastic or just like a dream come true i just feel like keanu was was a little typecast again here in in that kind of romantic side role yeah he's kind of once again that's something's got to give role right that these i think these movies are both similar in that they're for similar audiences for moms roughly right (laughs) and again he's just this you know handsome guy who she can in this one she can instead of being like this perfect rich charming doctor he's kind of like a fixer-upper sort of right like he's a good guy looking to start his life over but she can be like oh i can do something with this and also like you said he helps her return to her i think she even calls herself like a wild child or whatever when she was blake lively and beautiful and going to a party and you know kissing two or three men before she even meets or talks to alan arkin like he's able to bring her back to that stage of her life and that's exactly what she needs i mean maybe it's not a long-term solution but he's at least what she needs to like leave the area for a little bit not deal with the funeral arrangements at the end when alan arkin dies let her kids handle that and just sort of get away like no one needs me anymore she says and now she's sort of be free to or she's she's now free to do what she wants and be who she wants to be and you know sort of live life again yeah i almost thought for a moment that towards the end 
I mean, this would have been maybe a little too cliche that the actress would have turned back into Blake Lively playing the character because I feel like there was a Mark that would have moment. Been cool. Yeah, because I feel like she could have played the whole role, but that there was a purpose to two actresses doing this. And we've kind of run into this a little bit um, somewhere around, like, I think when we were doing Shia, like, Lars von Trier pulled the same kind of trick where it was like, when the character's identity shifted, the actor who played that character changed as well. I think he did it with Shia in Nymphomaniac. And so when there's a moment when she's like, you know, I've sort of just suppressed who I was and now I'm totally Pippa Lee and I have these kids and I'm this new person and now it's like she's got this whole new identity so they brought this new actress in to play her and then at the end I was like oh she's sort of reverting back to like her former self but I guess that's not the entire point she's more or less she's she's growing and moving on and, and evolving so I, maybe a third actress <laughs> to play the part would have been excessive but uh, you see what I'm getting at I think that would be an artier film than what we have here if it had turned back. It would have been a Lars von Trier movie, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I really did like the scene. I was wondering how they were going to do it, but I liked that scene where after she marries Alan Arkin and they have her with the kids, like she sort of like grows up in a hurry and it's like a shot of Blake Lively, a shot of Blake Lively, and then all of a sudden a shot of Robin Wright. And the way that it's shot and the way that they look and everything, like, it's very close. And because they started the movie with Robin Wright and then went back in time to introduce Blake Lively, it worked. Like, I think I thought that was really, really great. Like, considering the whole rest of the movie is just sort of, like, okay, you know, that I thought was really well done, this transition from one character to another and, like, from here on out, we're just going to be with Robin Wright. Yeah, the Pippa transition works really well. I, I felt, though, that seeing older Pippa with her children before we find out her past was slightly confusing only because of how old Alan Arkin is and how her children treated her, especially her daughter. Like I immediately thought that's Alan Arkin's daughter, not hers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hates the stepmom. Because they start out in this like ambiguous dinner scene where she and Alan Arkin had just moved up from New York City to somewhere like, I guess, upstate New York or somewhere New Englandy, And, you know, they're like, basically, it seems like Alan Arkin is her dad. Mm, I think, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And then there's the kids around. And then even later in the movie, when, you know, Zoe Kazan is so against her, we know that he's been married twice. He, was, he had a first wife. Then he had Monica Bellucci back from Dracula and back from The Matrix <laughs> Revolutions and Reloaded. And, you know, she kills herself. But it, it seems like exactly what you said, Lindsay, that it seems like Zoe Kazan is from a previous marriage mm-hmm. that she's always resented her. And then it seems like her son is actually her son, but it turns out that they were twins. They're both them. But it's weird. What I think might have been better, I don't know if it would have been better, but what you said is how it's sort of weird, the transition from old to young and then back, is at the end of the movie, what I felt was really strange was the whole time we have this voiceover from Robin Wright saying, you know, basically sort of like reading narration from a book. And I don't think this was adapted from a book, but it kind of feels like it was at times. And at the end of the movie, there's a shot of her sitting on her bed, staring at the camera, talking to the camera. And it gives the impression like that's sort of been happening the whole time. So I think what Mm could have worked maybe is if we start the movie with that and she's like, you know, I'm Pippa, like this is my story. And then like we go, the first thing we see is her as a little girl with Maria Bello as her bipolar mother. Hmm. Yeah. And then sort of go up. Because then you don't have that weird scene of the twins. I mean, I don't know if that would have been better, but I think it would have avoided the confusion of the beginning of the movie. 
Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked that. That would have worked well, like as a as a sort of storytelling device too. And it would have felt sort of more like a confessional, and it would have tied into the fact that her dad's a priest, which totally is not like a part of this film in any way. I feel, but could have been used as sort of a um, a neurosis in there somewhere. Uh, they focus more or less on like her mother uh, mm-hmm. and her like speed addiction and all that, and then later on her sort of like being taken advantage of by a, a bunch of women <laughs> to like get those photo- like those photographs, right? Like her aunt's friend Julianne Moore and her friend like take all those scandalous photos, and then she sort of falls into the world of like drugs and stuff. So yeah, I mean maybe it would have worked a little better if it was a little more in sequence, and then we sort of could if we at least set up like one shot of her talking and then jumped back in time we could have come back into the present at any moment and been oriented okay or a little better but um i had the same feeling so i was sort of a little lost at that dinner party as well i felt like in the flashbacks with her family when she was growing up that i wasn't sure what it was trying to say about her mom like it was very much about the relationship between her and her mom but did she ever actually talk about her dad he was there visually but i feel like the narration didn't talk about her dad at all and blamed kind of everything on her mom but i feel like her dad deserves some blame there because it didn't seem like he was even acknowledging that there was anything wrong with the mom well, it's also weird because like she's not an only child, right? Like, there's, she has brothers and sisters, so they're right. not in the story either. That's true. That is also strange. <laughs> yeah, the backstory felt a little weird to me until one moment where she's telling uh, part of her story, and she's on the beach, and she's like, "I was with this guy." No, wait, maybe I was with that guy. And you see the character trying to shift from one guy to the other while they're walking, and I was like, "Oh, okay." Like she's a completely unreliable narrator. Like she doesn't even <laughs> remember this clear this some of this could just be totally made up or what she wanted to remember and so at that point I was like maybe that's why I was having trouble like following what they were focusing on and why they were focusing on such a narrow focus on the mother instead of the rest of the family unit Mm -hmm. yeah there's one flashback too where she's like sitting on the couch with her brother and then her brother says something about this is why mom acts so weird. And then she's like, mom doesn't act weird. So it's almost like she didn't even notice there was anything wrong with her mom. And then suddenly she did. And then suddenly everything just fell apart. There's weird stuff in this movie too. Like the fact that she was born late and had hair all over her body, that she was (laughs) vestigial hair. And the mom is like, I had a monkey. And I guess that's sort of just starting off like a weird, like things were never great with her and her mom maybe. But it's like weird little character. Th- I don't even know that's a character trait because it goes away before she's even like in the movie before she's a conscious person. You know, mm-hmm. all that hair falls away. But it's just a strange detail to focus on, especially so early in the movie, I think. Yeah, I don't know if it's like trying to emphasize the mom's mental illness because she kind of freaked out when she thought she had a monkey. Yeah, I'm not sure if that's again goes back to sort of the unreliable narrator, the false memory and, and maybe maybe her mom told her like she's my little monkey and like as a pet name and so she just assumed she was born that way it could be all kinds of weird readings to that and and there's also weird stuff like the sleepwalking like i feel like that's brought up and not quite dealt with in its entirety it almost felt like it was going to be a big part of her arc or her journey was to conquer this sleepwalking and that that's what the movie was going to be about but yeah. she does it like two or three times, and once we find out it's her, she kind of stops for like the whole movie. Forever, the- yeah, it just goes away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, 
Yeah, it reminded me of the Keanu movie when he was a dentist and the, the kid just started taking, like, Adderall and then, like, 20, 30 minutes later he stopped taking Adderall and you're like, oh, I thought the movie was going to be about his, like, ADD, but it just, it wasn't. Lots of, like, just empty threads. It's it's strange. Yeah. I guess because I guess because there's not really a story. Like, the story, like, the plot is just her growing up and sort of a, it's kind of like an adult coming-of-age story in a way, which... It's weird that I love coming-of-age movies so, so much, and then here, which I guess is a, a relatively unique or somewhat different take on it, it just doesn't click with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were good moments, but I didn't even write down barely any, so I don't think that there was enough to... And I agree with you, Like this is a movie that I feel like if I never see it again, that's totally fine. <laughs> It's uh, it's like a, it's a midlife crisis movie, right? She says, like, I'm having a quiet midlife crisis. And I just don't know that those are easy to not make depressing overall. Yeah. Like, this kind of falls into that kind of territory where it's like, oh, man, this is she's just this is just kind of depressing for, for a while here. But it, I do like its quirkiness when it comes around. And especially like the last half hour, I almost feel like it's almost worth it just because of the way it converges and plays out towards the end. Uh, I mm-hmm. definitely wish there was more Keanu. He's he's one of the strangest things of this. Like, of all the strange things that kind of pop up, it's like <laughs> every time he shows up, it's such a weird little moment. Um, yeah. Like, there's that one part, it's like a huge connection, too. Like, she runs around the corner and there's a car accident and he's standing over a wounded dog. Yeah. Yes. John Wick flash forwards. Huge. But it's not uh, his dog. <laughs> yeah. No. No, he's just like a dog whisperer. He leans in and whispers (laughs) something to it as it's passing away. I 100% wrote down Keanu's The Dog Whisperer in the notes. (laughs) Just weird things. Like, his character can't lie. It's like, okay, if you can't lie. Like, his tattoo is just so jarring and out there uh, and fun. Like, almost like a relief. Not a comic relief, but just like a relief from the heaviness of, of, like, what she's going through at times. Yeah, because, I mean, he's just an escape in sort of every way, right? So the fact that he can't lie, though, is just weird. Like, because the whole <laughs> yeah. movie, he's just sort of having these, like, stilted dialogue with her, like, with Robin Wright, and he'll say something awkward, and then she'll say something, and then keep talking until she accidentally insults him. Every time they talk, every time they talk, she belittles him or makes fun of him or looks down on him without meaning to. And then she apologizes. And then she's like, I just found out what's so weird about you. You can't lie. And it's like, okay, but like, what's your excuse? Yeah, he also says that, yeah, it's that one part where he's driving her home. She sleepwalks to his job and he's like a clerk, like in the movie Clerk. He's like literally a clerk at a convenient mart. And uh, she's like, don't tell anybody like you drove me home or saw me sleepwalking. And he's like, I, I can't promise that. <laughs> and she's like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it might slip out. Like, I can't, you know, I'll try not to mention it, but I can't promise you that it won't happen. Maybe you shouldn't tell anyone about this. I'll try not to. You'll try not to? Might slip out one day. (laughs) I think I just figured out what's so odd about you. You can't lie, can you? He's such an honest man of God, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I love that also that he, like, didn't get into 
you know, or like he he wasn't going to become a priest, so the alternative was to get this giant Christ. Tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know. It's like when you're super into something, it's like if I was like, you know, if my 15-year-old self like had a Red Hot Chili Pepper tattoo, it was like almost how <laughs> I feel that. It's like I was... Although in a way, it, it's very fitting for him because he was a Christ figure in the Matrix movies. He's back with mm. Monica Bellucci. And she's also kind of Persephone in this too. Like she's just this beautiful wife who even pulls a gun out of her purse, and instead of shooting a vampire with a silver bullet, she just kills herself. So there's there's a little bit of Matrix connections. I mean, it's not like Neo is associated with tattoos, but him getting a Christ tattoo literally the size of his chest kind of makes sense given the actor that we know and also a lot of the spiritual roles that we've seen him take from Little Buddha through the Matrix movies, through the you know Zen dentistry of Thumbsucker. I love the forced ways that we had to see that tattoo, though. Like, there was no real natural <laughs> seeing it. Like, the first time we see him, he's in his bedroom with his mom, and he just happens to not have a shirt on yet. Yeah, why? <laughs> I don't know. And then also, he, he climbs out the window of the bedroom the first time we see him, and that's, like, to show us that that window is a possible doorway because yep. constantly people are going in and out of that window <laughs> and then the only other time i think the only other time we see the tattoo is when he asks her in the back of the van if she's prayed for her husband and then he's like let's try praying for him and he takes off his shirt and i'm like why do you have to take your shirt off to pray <laughs> just because god's there i don't know it's so weird what do you pray for when you pray? For my kids to be happy, I guess. And to be good. It sounds so childish saying it out loud. Do you want to pray for your husband? It's hopeless. His brain is dead. Not for his brain. For his soul. I don't know how to do that. Me neither. Let's try. It's like, yeah, it's like anytime you need to pray, you just have your Jesus right there. Like, you mm -hmm. can just take your shirt off and <laughs> anyone can use it if they need it. Yeah, so weird. It's his own personal Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I can't believe that all worked. Like, what a crazy line. Like, what a weird guy and and that <laughs> that van right is straight out of like this like it's like a weird creepy 70s van it just did it it seemed a little on the seedier side than, right but like he was a totally trustworthy and nice dude and everything like that and uh, you know i'm just against convention i guess and they totally barely pray like they start to pray and then they just start making out but it's like of course because you just took your shirt off <laughs> and you're keanu so everybody has to fall for Keanu, I think. At one point or another. At some point. Especially if he takes his shirt off. Especially. <laughs> I don't want to say that I'm out of things to talk about, but I think I might be out of things to talk about. <laughs> I know, right? I, I think this movie was better than I thought it was going to be, but I really like, with a name like The Private Lives of Pippa Lee, like I just had zero expectations for it. <laughs> I was actually hoping, because I had no idea what it was about, but I was hoping it was some sort of, um, like, housewife turned detective or something like that. Like some <laughs> sort of, almost like something John Waters could write, but it didn't get anywhere close to that. That would have been great. 
I guess that the weirdest scene in the movie is when she, when Pippa as Blake Lively runs away from her mother, and this is sort of, she sort of runs away for good. I mean, she sees her mother one more time, I think, but she runs away to her aunt's house, and she doesn't realize that her aunt is in a lesbian relationship with Julianne Moore. Mm-hmm. And Julianne Moore, like you said, I think earlier, Mike just starts to take these, like, I guess, like, for, like, detective novels, whatever her excuse well, is. she says. Yeah, yeah, she says she's writing a book, and these are inspiration for the scenes. But that whole scene reminded me of that movie about Cherry. Did you see, either of you see that movie about Cherry? No. It's not good. Uh, <laughs> it's basically that over an entire film. It's about this girl who kind of get like, gets involved with pornography, like sort of like, not against her will, but it's sort of like the seedy underside there. But instead of Julianne Moore, it's Heather Graham. And I, they're, mm. they're similar in my mind, I think. Mm-hmm. Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights. And that, that just reminded me of that. And I was just like, oh, like, oh, this is weird. Plus, like, for a scene that's supposed to be, like, because Blake Lively's in her underwear in this scene. And it just still feels wrong. She's in like a crib and it's just, it's all uncomfortable. <laughs> Yes. I don't know what you have to do, but like, for you to make Blake like make me feel uncomfortable looking at Blake Lively in underwear, like I don't know what I don't know what kind of wizardry you pulled. <laughs> I feel like that whole part of the movie is where I felt like there was a lot of weird blame going on. Like that's the point where she leaves her parents, and I'm like, why are you not talking about how your dad just doesn't even notice that there's anything wrong here? And then she has like a decent life with her aunt Trish for a short period of time and then that photo shoot thing happens and then she's like and that was when i stopped living with aunt trish (laughs) like aunt trish came home and kicked her out but it's like why why would you get kicked out for that like that wasn't you but yeah Yeah. people blaming the wrong people for everything i think yep julian moore shot all of her work in this movie over two days so i guess she's just like well i'm out of here like there's nothing i mean she's not in a (laughs) lot of the movie but she's only on set for two days the only other little bit of trivia... Oh, actually, I have two other little bits of trivia, and then we can maybe do final thoughts, but Suki, who is her mom, who is played by Maria Bello, and I think she's really good in this movie. She's just not in a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Maggie Gyllenhaal almost played that role, but then she had a scheduling mm-hmm. conflict, so she couldn't do it. But I would have liked to see her, because I feel like she's always very sedate, kind of. I mean, she can be cheerful, but like I want to see her manic, yeah. like Maria Bello was in this. Hmm. Yeah, I thought the mom character was well played like i thought yeah. i felt like that was a good a really good performance maybe the best performance in in the whole movie to be quite honest and then i got can't can't lie i was kind of sad that she wasn't in the second half of this entire movie that that character is just up and never seen from again it's kind yeah. of a bummer uh and especially with the way that they play with time and things like that i thought that towards the end she was maybe going to regress deeper into her early childhood and have like nicer memories of her family or Maybe get into more stuff about her brothers and her her dad, and her, but that never came to fruition. The movie feels like it finds its way at a certain point, actually, and and sticks and sticks on that path. But it just takes like almost like sixty minutes to like lock into gear. <laughs> but once it does and figures out what it is, the, the rest of the movie was pretty good. It's just too bad it couldn't really do it all the way from the beginning to the end. I guess I kind of talked about how I love Winona, but we haven't really mentioned who she was. Yes, so that's my other little bit of trivia, that she in this movie is a friend, like a a friend of Pippa's, a friend of Robin Wright's, but the big reveal is that she's been having an affair with Alan Arkin, with Robin Wright's husband. And early in the movie, 
Robin Wright, they're in bed, Robin Wright and Alan Arkin. She's like, I think Winona's having an affair. And Alan Arkin's like, oh, you're crazy, blah, blah, blah. And then later in the movie, you know, that comes true. But the trivia was that she and Alan Arkin play lovers in this movie, and in Edward Scissorhands, they were father-daughter. So it's always weird and kind of creepy when that (laughs) happens. I mean, we're 25 years later, but still like, ooh. Wow. See? This is Hollywood. Hollywood women. (laughs) Yep. Her character is crazy in this movie. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I mean, she could just be a a hyper version of what Pippa is seeing, like over dramatic and you know blowing it out of proportion and everything but i mean when she's caught and starts trying to i mean it's not funny but it is funny. no like, it is she's it like is trying to slit her wrists and then like curled up in a ball and uh you know she mentions to her son like your father left me for her and they cut to her and she's like on her face on the couch and i mean yeah it, she's doing some really like funny stuff here yeah, when she's in the hospital and being kind of also a hypochondriac or something, because she seems less concerned about Alan Arkin and how he's doing than, like, how it's affecting her. And then, yeah, she's just laying on the couch, like, in a ball. <laughs> she was admitted to the hospital because, like, what'd she say? She was having chest pains or something? That was it. Yeah. Yeah, like, he basically died. I mean, he was brain dead. He wasn't dead dead, but he basically died and was admitted to the hospital. And as a result, I guess, Winona was admitted to, like, I feel (laughs) like Winona, the character in this movie, just feels everything super hard. Like, she's just very into everything. And, you know, they make, I guess it's a joke about, like, after she tries to kill herself, and Robin Wright's like, oh, you know, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to kill themselves with disposable razors before. And just, like, that's just what's there. I mean, from the time that Robin Wright shows up to his office which she set up for him, by the way, and then opens up the bathroom and just sees Winona, like, crying, curled in a little ball. Like, that's just, it's, everything's just a downward spiral from there. Yeah. Do you remember the animated sequence in yes. this movie? I was just <laughs> going to write that down. That? I think I really like it, but I'm not sure. Oh, it seemed out of place, definitely. It did. Yeah, it felt like either have more of it or none of it. Yeah. I was like, why is this just this little bit? Does anybody remember why it happened? I yes, because the, okay. the voiceover, and Mike can put this in. Remember this moment, sports fans. Remember where you were, Pippoli rounding the bend, guilt baton in hand, coming up on Sandra Dulles, and the pass is complete. Pippoli has passed the guilt baton to Sandra Dulles. I never thought I'd live to see this moment. And so, you know, I think Pippa had felt guilty about sort of stealing Alan Arkin from Monica Bellucci who then killed herself. And so I guess their entire marriage, she felt guilty about that. And then since she was cheated on, she's like, oh, like I'm karmically even now. So I'm good. Right. I don't know why it needed to be animated. No. (laughs) (laughs) It could have just been in her head that the the voiceover, uh, what sounded, you know, like a track meet and the announcer and everything could have just been playing in her head. And I think it would have had a similar effect, maybe because it does sort of signal like a much less serious turn for the rest of the movie considering what they're dealing with like her state of mind i guess just becomes more pre-marriage to alan arkin like more i don't want to say more juvenile but i guess just younger in spirit and sense and all that kind of thing like cartoons just sort of 
give the impression of more fun and like less seriousness and I feel like going towards the end of this movie uh, the finish line if you will like it's 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 playing much better as a dark comedy emphasized on the comedy I also just realized that there's a little bit of a key action there to the animated scene because in the animatrix there was that track and field runner who was you know who realized he was special and so he could break the rules of that world and so we have another animated track scene in a Keanu movie, which I never thought would happen. But, you know, here we are. We made it. Lindsay, do you have any other thoughts about the private lives of Pippa Lee? I mean, this movie was definitely not about Keanu, but I think that I kind of looked at it through the lens of what was happening with him. And I, I guess as much as his storyline was very obvious, like he was definitely a tool to make her able to take a new lease on life or whatever, I did kind of enjoy it anyways like I bought it as like they're probably not falling in love but they're having a good moment where they're comforting each other and you know they'll help each other through and it was kind of I don't know cozy to watch it I guess Mike any other last thoughts just a few uh, we also have Cornell West returning from Reloaded in Revolutions he's at the dinner party at the beginning uh, oh, that's where he is. Okay, okay. And he's first moving into the retirement home. Uh, so that was a strange... Of all the people that come back, that was pretty strange to see Cornel West, but also just that two people from those Matrix movies are, are in this movie. I guess... Um, oh, th- there was one moment where Keanu's wearing a shirt that just says, What? <laughs> um, I thought that was the greatest, like, <laughs> just, like, shirt for him to be wearing. Just kind of, like, summed everything up for me at that moment. I... I mean, this isn't the best movie. It's not the worst movie. Like I say, it's, it's kind of mediocre, but I also feel like it finds its way as it goes along and ends on a strong note. So I'm glad I watched it. I probably won't be checking it out anytime soon again, but uh, I didn't, you know, I thought it was pretty good uh, for what it was, for what they're trying to do. I, I liked um, a lot of the uh, actors here and some good performances and definitely wish there was more Keanu, but for what we got, I feel like we got some good Keanu here, you know, for what it's worth. All the times he showed up, he was doing stuff that I liked. Like, he was surprising me a little bit in this movie. Uh, You know, from time to time, he can kind of not challenge himself, I feel. And not that this was a very challenging role by any means, but I just felt like he was enjoying it and that there was some life behind it. And it was kind of more interesting for stuff than we've seen lately. So for Keanu, I enjoyed it. Yeah. My only other note was that he fingered her to freedom is basically yeah. oh, in that van. So that was my last thing. Well, thank you, Lindsay, for joining us. I think this is a series wrap for you and Keanu. I don't think that we have any more episodes for you coming up. So I think that's true. So can I say a couple of things about Keanu? Yeah, absolutely. Did you? Did you? Okay. So here's the big question that you uh-huh. you brought up on the first episode of this you were on. Did you fall in love with him over the course of this series? Yes. There we go. So probably at the beginning, I guess I must have said that I wasn't that into him. And prior to this, I think I had similar feelings about him that I think like detractors of Cage have. And for that reason, what I said probably in my first episode of the Keanu cast is that, uh, you know, TIFF, the Toronto International Film Festival, ran a Cage retrospective and then a Keanu one back to back. And it made so much sense to me that they did. And it makes sense that you guys chose Keanu as your follow-up to Cage because he's obviously much better than he gets credit for, just like Cage. Did Tiff do a follow-up to Keanu or is it the last one still? No, I think it is the last 
that kind of retrospective. They do a lot of director retrospectives, but I don't think they've done any other actor one. Because we've, um, selected, we've selected our next actor, and that's not public yet, so I'm not saying his name. Right. But it's another person where you're like, oh, I'm not crazy about him. And so we're only doing right. a couple. But I wonder if you'll turn around on that person, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you, run, you run pretty good episodes here. You run River's Edge and Permanent Record and I Love You to Death. And yes. Paula Abdul, Rush Rush, and <laughs> yep. The Gift, and this one. So, this one. you know, there's yeah. been a lot of mediocre to bad Keanu, but I think your overall average was pretty good. Yeah, I am uh, I plan to catch up on Keanu and watch some more stuff, because I've gained a new appreciation for him. <laughs> and worst case, you can just watch Rush Rush over and over and over again, because it's just the best. And I mean, I wasn't on the Freaked episode, but Freaked is amazing. So thank you again for joining us for this episode and for those six. And you can go get Lindsay's book, National Treasure, Nicolas Cage, on Amazon or ECW Press or basically anywhere that books about movies are sold, probably. And it's great. So for all things Keanu Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub or at cageclubpod on Twitter. You can see all the episodes that we've done. You can see the other shows on the network. You can get all sorts of fun, free things to do and listen to at those three places. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Lindsay Gibb. And we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. You are?